0: You're not too good to talk to sway. So just sit back and I'm ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far far away. Now let's hear what God Mena has to say. We would be honored if you would join us.
1: What's happening, my far, far away family? How's everyone doing today? Sorry for the tardiness. Last week was a tough week for me. As some of you might know, some friends and I just started another podcast called Lightsaber Radio. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, you should. We're having a lot of fun doing it. But trying to get the audio right has really been a nightmare for me. It's easy when it's just you and you're recording yourself. One audio source ain't that hard to deal with. It's a whole different ball game when you're dealing with multiple audio sources. But I think we got it all figured out and it's only going to get better. Now let's get back to the rule of two. Because when we left off last week, we had just met some new characters and learned a little bit about what was going on with the Jedi after the thought bomb. So let's see what is happening now.
0: Darth Bane felt them long before he saw them. Those ignorant in the ways of the force saw it as only a weapon or tool. It could strike out against a foe in battle. It could levitate nearby objects and draw them into a waiting palm, or fling them across a room. But these were mere wizard's tricks to one who understood its true power and potential. The Force was a part of all living things, and all living things were a part of the Force. It flowed through every being, every animal and creature, every tree and plant. The fundamental energies of life and death coursed through it, causing ripples in the very fabric of existence. Even distracted by the agonizing flashes of the blade slicing apart the inside of his skull, Bane was sensitive to these ripples. They gave him an awareness that transcended space and even time, granting him brief glimpses into the always shifting possibilities of the future. That was how, still two kilometers and several minutes away from where Khan and his army had made their camp, he knew others were already there.
1: Okay, I gotta stop right here. I don't like it when an author jumps from around chapter to chapter. One chapter he's talking about Bane and Zanna, then the next chapter he's talking about the Jedi. It just irritates the heck out of me. Just talk about it all at once. But anyway, this chapter starts off really good. Did you hear the way that Drew explained the Force? He said it moves through all living things, causing ripples in the fabric of the universe. Now that is one heck of a way to describe. When most of us think of the Force, we think of it like he stated earlier, you can levitate objects and things of that sort. But when you hear him explain it like that, it gives you a different understanding of the Force itself.
0: There were eight in total, all human, six men and two women, mercenaries who'd signed on with the Brotherhood for credits and a chance to strike at the hated Republic. They'd survived the final battle with Hoth's troops. They had most likely fled the confrontation the instant Cun had descended into the bowels of the planet's surface to lay his trap for the Jedi, displaying the loyalty of all followers bought and paid for. And now, like blood beetles picking the rotting meat off of Bantha's corpse, they had come to scavenge whatever remnants of value they could find from the deserted Sith camp. There's someone up ahead, Xana whispered a minute later. Less attuned to the subtle nuances of the forest than her master... It had taken her longer to sense the danger. But given her lack of training, the fact that she had noticed anything at all was testament to her abilities. Wait here, Bane ordered, holding out a hand to free Xana in her place. Wisely, she obeyed. He didn't look back as he broke into a full run. The ground rushed by beneath his feet, a blur of motion as he called on the Force to drive him forward. The pain in his head vanished, swept away by the anticipation of battle and the physical exhilaration of his charge. Within sixty seconds the Sith camp came into view, the outlines of the doomed mercenaries clearly visible as they argued over which objects were worthy of plunder. Six of the looters were gathered in the small clearing at the center of the camp, dividing up the spoils. The other two were on point, sentries stationed near the outskirts of the tents to watch for signs of trouble. Their posts were mere formality, however. The sentries should have been stationed on opposite sides of the camp to guard against assault from either direction. Instead, the two men were standing less than twenty meters apart, more interested in having someone to pass the time with than in securing the perimeter. Bane surveyed the scene with contempt as he bore down on them, the force allowing him to take in every detail in one quick glance. The men on point were oblivious to his approach, their attention drawn by the angry shouts of disagreement coming from the other six bickering over their ill-gotten gains. Altering his course slightly, so his arrival would be hidden by a large supply tent until the last possible instant, Bane gave a final burst of acceleration and descended upon the camp
1: in a storm of ruin. We love bringing you more Star Wars.
0: He drew and ignited his lightsaber in one smooth motion. The keening hum of the crimson blade preceded him, betraying his position a few precious seconds before his arrival. The advance warning gave just enough time for the nearest sentry to draw his blaster, but not nearly enough time to save him from the coming slaughter. Bane materialized from behind the supply tent and fell on his first victim like a dark wind, striking him diagonally from shoulder to hip. The man wore battle armor made up of composite plates stitched together on an interwoven padded underlay to allow for flexibility. The vest covering his chest was capable of absorbing several high-powered blaster shots from inside 30 meters. But Bane's blade sliced through the protective layers and carved a fatal 5-centimeter gash through the flesh and bone beneath. As the first victim toppled over, Bane leapt high in the air toward his next foe. Instantly closing the 10 meters between them and simultaneously evading the hastily fired shot from the 2nd century's blaster pistol. As he came down, virtually on top of his enemy, he delivered an overhead two-handed descending shot. A classic move from the Jem So, the fifth and most powerfully aggressive form of lightsaber combat. The heavy strike perfectly bisected the unfortunate man's helmet and drove deep into the skull beneath. The gruesome ends of the first two mercenaries gave the others time to recognize what was happening. They drew their weapons and fired a full volley of blaster bolts at Bane... ...as he turned to face them from across the camp. Smoothly transitioning from the attacking style of Form five ...to the more defensive style of Form three, ...Bane deflected the incoming bolts with two-handed parries of his lightsaber... ...flicking them aside with almost casual disdain. Twirling his weapon in his right hand... Bane paused to relish the hopelessness and terror emanating from the half a dozen surviving mercenaries as they recognized the inevitable fact of their own deaths. Clustered together in the clearing between the tents, they did the only thing that gave any of them a chance of survival. They broke and ran. They scattered in all directions.
1: I can't imagine the terror these people are feeling. You had just seen two of your crew get cut down by what you would believe is a ghost. All the Sith are supposed to be dead. But you see this red lightsaber flying through the air. That has to be the scariest thing ever. Then to top it off, you start to shoot at this person and he just uses his lightsaber to slap your shots away. There's only one thing you can do at this point. You have to run away and that's exactly what they did. But this is what I don't understand. They see Bane jump 10 feet and cut down into the dude's head. Why would you believe that you could outrun him? At this point, you know that you're about to die. So you should just surrender to your fate. But this is a good example of the fight or flight emotion.
0: One of the women ran off to the left. Two men ran off to the right. The other three turned and fled in a direct line away from the deadly interloper. Still twirling his lightsaber, Bane thrust his empty hand out before him, palm extended, as he unleashed the force in a wave of concussive power at the woman fleeing to his left. The wave cut a swath of devastation through the camp. Tents were uprooted from the ground, their material torn and shredded. Wooden supply crates exploded into kindling. The shattered contents sprang out in a shower of splintered shrapnel. The force wave slammed into the woman's back, pulverizing her spine and snapping her neck as it drove her face down into the dirt and pinned her against the ground. Her corpse twitched once, then went forever still. Clenching the fingers of his left hand tight against his open palm, Bane wheeled toward the two men on his right and thrust his fist up into the air. A dozen forks of blue lightning arched out from above his head to envelop the screaming soldiers, cooking them alive. Shrieking in agony, they danced and twitched like marionettes on electric springs for several seconds before their smoking husks collapsed on the ground. In the few seconds it had taken to dispatch the others, The surviving three mercenaries had reached the far side of the Sith camp. A few meters beyond the edge of the tents, a line of trees marked the start of the thick Rusan forests. The concealing branches taunted them with offers of safety, giving even greater haste to their terror-filled flight. Bane watched them retreat with idle disinterest, savoring their fear. A handful of steps from freedom, one of the men made the fatal mistake of glancing back over his shoulder to see whether their adversary was falling. On a whim, Bane sent his lightsaber hurtling toward him with a casual toss. The spinning blade sliced through the air in a tight loop, crossing the expanse of the camp in a fraction of a second before swooping back to be caught in the waiting hand of its master. Two of the mercenaries vanished into the forest, crashing through the underbrush. The third, the one who would paused to look back, stood still as stone. A second later, his head toppled forward from his shoulders to bounce and roll across the ground, severed from the cauterized stump of his neck by the crimson blade of Bane's thrown lightsaber. As if the fallen head were a signal, the rigid limbs of the decapitated corpse went suddenly limp and it fell over sideways. Bane extinguished his lightsaber, the blade vanishing with a sharp hiss. For a brief instant, he reveled in his victory, drinking in the last lingering remnants of his victim's emotions, drawing power from their fear and suffering. And then the moment was gone, fleeing like those who'd escaped his wrath. He could have pursued them, but as much as he yearned to taste their panic, he understood the purpose of letting
1: them live. Okay, let's take a closer look at the way Bane dealt with the rest of them. The girl that took off to the left of him, he used the force to basically destroy her body. It said the blast of the force pulverized her spine, broke her neck, and slammed her face into the ground. Then he uses lightning, not from his hands, but from the sky to cook the other two. It said they look like puppets dangling from electric streams. Now, I think that I would have wanted to die like the first girl. It happened really fast. She was running and then bam. So you know she didn't really feel any pain. But to be cooked by electricity, you know that had to suck. Then you got this guy that looks back. I don't know why he looked back, but then bam. Head cut off by Bane's lightsaber. He just threw it at this guy and cut his head right off. I wonder if the guy's head fell off and rolls. Did he get to see his body fall over before his brain shut off? You know they say that the brain stays alive for a few moments after the head is amputated. It could have happened, but it's not like anyone could have asked him. Now for the other two, the ones that Bane let get away, I wonder why he did that. If he wanted to catch them, he could. One quick burst of speed from the force, boom he'd have been right next to him. But I know that we're going to find out in the next part. It is always fun to guess the reason before we get to the next part though. Me personally, I think that it is because Xana had already seen enough. There will be a lesson behind this. But what if they go tell someone that to assist survive? That would ruin Bane's whole plan. Let's go ahead and listen to the next part and find out.
0: You let them get away. He spun around in surprise to see Xana standing just inside the perimeter of the camp. Engrossed in the slaughter, he hadn't sensed her approach. Either that or his young apprentice had taken pains to shield her presence from him. Don't underestimate her. Bane reminded himself. She has the power to one day surpass you. You let them get away, Xana repeated. She didn't sound angry or disappointed or even pleased. She just seemed puzzled. I told you to wait for me, Bane admonished her. Why did you disobey? She didn't answer right away weighing her words carefully until she could find an answer that would appease her master. I wanted to see the true power of the dark side, she admitted finally. Can you teach me to... She trailed off, unable to find the words to describe what she had just witnessed. Instead, she simply waved her hand, indicating the totality of the carnage he'd unleashed. You will learn, Bane assured her. Attaching the hooked handle of his lightsaber back onto his belt. She didn't smile, but there was an eager expression in her gaze, a hunger her master knew well. He'd seen the same raw ambition in the eyes of Githany, his former lover and one of Khan's doomed followers. He knew that if Xana did not learn to temper and control her ambition, it would lead her down a path of destruction, just as it had with Githany. Prowess in combat is the simplest display of the dark side's power," her master cautioned her. Brutal and quick, it serves a purpose, yet it is often less effective than subtlety and cunning. Ultimately, letting those mercenaries live may prove more useful than killing them. But they were weak, his apprentice protested, throwing his own teachings back at him. They deserve to die. Few beings in the galaxy ever get what they truly deserve. He noted, choosing his words with care. The dark side was not easily understood. Even he was still learning to work his way through its complexities and contradictions. He had to be careful not to overwhelm his young apprentice. Yet it was important that she grasped the essence of what he'd done here. Our mission is not to bring death to all those unfit to live. We answer to a greater calling. All I have done on Rusan, and all that we will do from this day forward, must serve our true purpose. The preservation of our order, and the survival of the Sith." After a moment's consideration, Xana shook her head. "'I'm sorry, Master,' she admitted. "'I still don't get why you didn't just kill them.' "'As servants of the Dark Side, we revel in the vanquishing of our enemies.' we draw power from their suffering but we must balance this against greater gains we must recognize that killing for sadistic pleasure killing without reason need or purpose is the act of a fool a frown of confusion crossed the young girl's face what purpose is there in letting scum like that live
1: now i didn't understand the start of this part bane reminds himself to watch xana closely because she has the power to one day surpass him Ain't that the whole point of the ruler too? That one day the apprentice would surpass the master, making the Sith stronger each time? I'm just saying that's the whole point. But Xana sneaks up on him and asks him why he let them go. Bane didn't feel her presence. He didn't know if he was caught up in the moment or if she just blocked her presence from him. He asked her why she didn't listen to him. Uh, because she's a child and most children don't follow orders very well. I can see this is gonna be a little bit harder than Bane thought. She tells him that she wanted to see the dark side in action. Bane sees the ambition in his apprentice. This is something he has seen before, Giffenie had the same type of look, and we all know what happened to Giffany. She got her whole soul sucked out of her body. Not a great way to die in my opinion. Okay, I can't really say that because I have no way of knowing how bad that is. But Bane knows that he must train that out of XANA. Then he starts to tell his apprentice why he let them escape. The Jedi believe the Order of the Sith died here on Rusan. he explained
0: patiently. There are followers of the Dark Side on many other worlds. The marauders of Honagar and Gamor, the shadow assassins of Ryloth and Umbara. But those with the greatest power, all those individuals with the potential to become true Sith Masters, had gathered together in Khan's brotherhood. As one, they followed him into this war. And as one, they followed him into death. But there will be those who doubt the totality of the Sith Extinction. There will always be whispers that the Sith survive, hints and rumors that somewhere in the galaxy a Dark Lord lives. And if the Jedi ever find proof of our existence, they will be relentless in hunting us down." He paused, to let the implications of his last statement sink in before continuing. We cannot live in isolation, cut off from the rest of the galaxy while cowering in fear. We must work. To grow our power, we will need to interact with individuals of many species across many worlds. It is inevitable that some among them will recognize us for what we are, no matter our disguise. Eventually, a word of our existence will reach the ears of the Jedi." Xana was studying him closely, absorbing every word, seeking enlightenment in the murky logic of the dark side. Since we cannot hide the fact of our survival... Bane continued, we must obscure it with half-truths. We must encourage the rumors, spreading them so thick they blind our enemies until they cannot separate myth from reality. A glimmer of understanding illuminated Xana's face. A rumor is only as reliable as its source, she exclaimed. Bane nodded in satisfaction. The survivors will spread the tale." But who will believe the likes of them? Everyone will know they are self-serving mercenaries who fled the final battle to save themselves, then came to loot the camp of their former allies. They will be spit upon as traitors and thieves. Nobody who hears their story will believe it, and the truth will be dismissed as a worthless rumor. And if there are any other witnesses to our presence on Rusan, Bane added, ...spinning out the final thread of the convoluted tapestry of deception. Their accounts are now less likely to be believed. They will be tainted by their similarity to the so-called lies spewing from the mouths of cowardly looters. No use or purpose in their deaths, Xana muttered, half to herself. She didn't say anything else, seemingly lost in thought, as she mulled over all that she had been told. Bane turned his attention away from his apprentice and focused on the items the looters had gathered in the center of the camp. He was the last of the Sith. If there was anything here of value, then by rights, it should belong to him.
1: Okay, okay, real quick. You gotta admit that the way Bane explained that was great. They can't go around killing everyone that is weak, because that would be most of the galaxy. And the reason they let the others escape is because no one will believe them. They are thieves and traitors, and their words would taint the stories of others, causing a ripple effect across time and space. There would always be rumors of the Sith, but that's all there would be was rumors. Kind of like the rumors about Star Wars now, Disney allows these rumors to happen. That way we're all confused, so we have a hard time believing when someone is telling the truth.
0: Most of what they had collected held no interest for Bane. Some of Khan's Brotherhood had hoarded items of immense value. ...believing that the greed and envy they inspired in others could feed the power of the dark side. The mercenaries had grabbed these trinkets. Ornate rings and necklaces fashioned from precious metals and set with glittering stones. Ceremonial daggers and knives, their hilts inlaid with gleaming gems. Intricately carved masks and small statues of remarkable skill, shaped from rare and delicate materials. And thrown them haphazardly in a pile. Surveying the invaluable treasures that were worthless to his purpose, Bane felt another jolt of pain at the back of his head. In the same instant he saw a figure flicker at the corner of his right eye, then vanish from his field of vision. He snapped his head around in the direction of the movement, but saw nothing. It hadn't been Xana, this figure was much taller. He reached out with the Force, but felt only himself and his apprentice within the perimeter of the camp. ''What's the matter?'' she asked, noting his sudden unease. ''Is someone coming?'' ''It's nothing,'' Bane replied. ''Was it nothing?'' he wondered. ''Or is this another side effect of the thought bomb?'' Xana made her way over to where he was standing, her eye drawn by the sun reflecting off the jewelry dumped on the ground. ''What's this?'' she asked, stooping to dig out something almost completely buried at the bottom of the pile. She emerged from the thin, leather-bound manuscript. She turned it over curiously, examining it from all angles, until Bane extended his hand. In response, she came dutifully forward and presented him with her find. He recognized the style of the manuscript. There had been several similar volumes in the library at the Brotherhood's Academy on Korriban. Though Bane had never seen this particular work before. The volume was thin, a few dozen pages at most. ...and the cover inscribed with arcane words, traced in blood-red ink. Bane recognized the language. He had become familiar with the tongue of the ancient Sith during his studies at the Academy... ...turning to the wisdom of masters long dead... ...rather than trusting the fools who sought to instruct him in the tarnished, new Sith philosophy of the Brotherhood. He opened the volume and found that the same blood-red ink had been used to fill the pages with delicate script and elaborate illustrations. As with the words on the cover, the language inside was that of the ancient Sith. However, the margins of each page were filled with handwritten notes in Galactic Basic. He recognized the handwriting as that of Cordis, the former head of the Academy on Korriban, and one of the many so called Sith Lords serving under Khan. Unlike the rest of the Brotherhood of Darkness, however, Cordis hadn't perished in the Thought Bomb's blast. He actually died several hours earlier, when Bane had used the Force to crush the life out of his former teacher. Why did Cordis bring this manuscript with him to Korriban? Bane wondered. Cordis had always been more concerned with hoarding wealth than studying the ancient texts. He wore only the finest silks and most expensive jewelry. Each of the long cruel fingers on both hands had been adorned with rings of incredible value. Even his tent on Korriban had been decorated with rare woven tapestries and ornate rugs. If he had carried this manuscript with him all the way from the academy, Bane realized it must contain knowledge of tremendous value.
1: Now this part starts off with Bane and Xana looking at a pile of precious objects, jewels and other valuables. Well, that's a good start for them. When they get off this planet, they're going to need some money to survive. And a pile of gold and silver might do the trick. But Xana notices a book at the bottom of the pile. She hands it to Bane and he starts to look through it and notices that there's ancient Synth writing in it, with some notes written in basic. The basic was in Cordis's handwriting, so it must have been extremely important if Cordis brought it all the way to Rusan. This is when Bane sees a figure standing off to the side of him, at the break of the clearing. He whipped his head around to see who was there, but there was nothing. Xana asks him what's wrong, but Bane can only sense his apprentice and himself. Now after all that Bane is going crazy and he's seeing things that ain't there.
0: Uh, What's it say? Xana asked, but Bane paid
1: her no attention.
0: He flipped quickly through the manuscript, skimming both the original text and Cordis's notes. It seemed to be a compilation of the history and teachings of Freedon Nad, a great Sith master who'd lived over 3,000 standard years ago. Bane had read previous accounts of Nad, but this one had something the other versions lacked. The location of his final resting place. For many centuries, the tomb of Freedon Nad had been lost, hidden by the Jedi so that the followers of the Dark Side could not seek to gain guidance or power from the Sith artifacts sealed inside. But on the last page of the manuscript, Cordis had made one final note, underlined for emphasis Seek the tomb on Duxon. How Cordis had come by this information signified little debate. All that mattered was that he now knew the location, too. The war on Russan had prevented Cordes from attempting to find Nad's tomb on Duxon. Now that the war was over, there was nothing to keep Bane from making the journey and claiming Nad's legacy as his own. But first, he had to get off Rusan. The all-too-familiar jolt of pain shot through his skull, and once again he caught the flicker of a figure from the corner of his eye. This time the image seemed to sustain itself for nearly a full second. Tall, broad-shouldered, and clad in the robes of the Sith, it was a figure Bane recognized. Lord Khan. And then, as before, it vanished. Is this real? Was it possible that the leader of the Brotherhood of Darkness had, in some form, survived the thought bomb? Was it possible his spirit now haunted the world of his death? He closed the volume and looked down at Xana. She gave no indication that she had seen or sensed anything. Just the trick of the mind, Bane thought. It was the only explanation that made sense. Xana would have felt the manifestation of a dark side spirit so close by, yet she had been oblivious. The realization brought him an odd mix of relief and concern. When he had seen Khan looming beside him, Bane had thought for an instant, just an instant, that he'd failed in his quest to destroy the Brotherhood. But the affirmation of his mission's success was tempered by the awareness that the Thought Bomb had done even more damage than he'd first suspected. Hopefully, the delusions and agonizing headaches were only temporary. Xana was still staring up at him, barely able to contain the flood of questions she had about what he'd discovered inside the pages of the treasure she'd found. Her expression of expectant curiosity turned to disappointment when he slid the manuscript into the folds of his clothes without offering any explanation. In time, Bane would share all his knowledge, present and future, with her. But until he had a chance to explore Nan's tomb himself, he was reluctant to tell anyone, even his apprentice, of its existence. ''Are you ready to leave this world?'' he asked. ''I'm sick of this place,'' she answered a hint of bitterness in her voice. Things have gone bad ever since I got here. Your cousins? Bane asked, remembering a remark she'd made earlier about the two boys with whom she'd first arrived. Do you miss them? What's the point? She replied with a shrug. Tomcat and Bug are dead. Why waste time thinking about them? Her words were indifferent, but Bane recognized her callousness as a defense mechanism. Beneath the surface, he could feel her passions burning. She was angry and resentful over their deaths. She blamed the Jedi for what happened, and she would never forgive them. Her rage would always be a part of her, simmering below the surface. It would serve her well in the years to come. Come with me, Bane said, reaching a decision. He led her over to an abandoned swoop bike near one of the tents. He climbed aboard, and she clambered up onto the seat behind him. Her slim arms wrapped tightly around his waist as the swoop's engine roared to life, and it lifted up into the air. Why are we taking the swoop? She asked, shouting into his ear to be heard above the thrusters. We will travel faster this way! Time grows short, Bane called back over his shoulder. Soon the Jedi will return to claim their dead and seek out survivors of Khan's army. But there is still one last lesson you must learn before we go. He didn't say any more. Some things could not be explained, but had to be witnessed to be understood. Zana needed to see the remains of the Thought Bomb. She needed to see the true scope of Khan's madness. She needed to grasp the finality of what Bane had accomplished here. And he needed to assure himself that the figure he'd seen was nothing more than an after effect of his exposure to the thought bomb. He wanted to see with his own eyes, undeniable proof that Khan
1: was truly destroyed. Out of all the things that Bane takes interest in, this book is the most compelling to him. Zanny even questions him about what it says, but he just ignores her question as he skims through the book. Now when it says Freedon Nad," that sparked my interest. Then when it said it contained his final resting place, I almost jumped out of my seat. If you think back to the Clone Wars, when Yoda found Bane's resting place and the Force Ghost popped up, what if that happened to spot? Do you realize what Bane could learn? Yeah, it's getting exciting. Cordis couldn't get to the resting place of NAD, but Bane has all the time in the universe. Then it happens again. Bane gets a sharp pain in his head and starts to see a figure again. But this time he can make out who it is. He sees Khan in the distance. I know Khan is dead and his spirit is trapped in the thought bomb. I'm just going over what the book said. I think Bane is just going crazy because Anna didn't see anyone and if it was a dark side spirit she would have sensed it. At this point Xana is just staring up at him. She is hoping he will fill her in about the book but he crushes that when he puts the book in his cloak. Then he asks her if she's ready to leave Ruson, and she was quick to tell him yes. Then she starts to explain why. Bane saw the wall of pain that she was hiding. She would always blame the Jedi for the death of her cousins. The way it is explained, it would fuel her power in the dark side for years to come. Then they jump on a suit bike and head towards the caves. The caves that held the remains of the Thought Bomb, which I don't have no idea why they would want to go there, but Bane says that she needs to see what had been done, so she would understand. And that's where the chapter comes to an end. I can't lie, I really liked the chapter. There was a lot of good information, and the way that Drew gave us that information, that was spectacular. Plus, there was the part in the Sith camp. I love some good old action. The way Bane killed those people, that was amazing. Now let's get to the quote for this week, and it comes to us from Desmond McLean. He said having a positive attitude will attract positive thoughts, positive feelings, and positive individuals, which will attract positive results. It is sad to say that we live in a world that is plagued by negativity. It seems like that's all that we have anymore. Everywhere you look is death and destruction. We see it on TV, it pops up on our phones, it seems to never end. So it's really hard to be positive. But you have to search deep down, find it in the pit of your stomach, and push it out into the world. I find a trick that helps me a lot. When there's anyone around me and they start being a negative nasty, I start putting positive stuff out there. Positive negative can't fill the same space. They are opposites, so they repel. I can almost count down how long it will last before they leave. In life you will not achieve any of your goals if you are always being negative. Achievement is a positive reaction of hard work. Have you ever noticed that the people complaining about their work are the people that are doing the least amount of work That's the negativity. Be positive and positive results will happen. And other positive people will want to be around you. And positive people are 90% more successful than negative people. They might not always help you, but they might introduce you to the ones that will help you. Okay, that's all I have for today. Join us next week when we tackle chapter 4 of this amazing book. Hope to see you there.